0: Morning, church. How rad is it that we. 500 boxes, by the way, takes care of about half a year uh, for the children in our county who go into care. So we're going to meet the needs for half of a year for ch- children. And I think it really is one of those moments where we can practically be the hands and feet of Jesus. Kids who are probably in one of the most scary, uh, vulnerable moments of their lives. Um, and then they get this box to distract him just a little bit and love on him just a smidge in just a practical way. Um, It's the way we say God hasn't forgotten you. He still loves you a lot. So it's a good thing. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of our church. Um, So yeah, let's get those last dozen out of here and let's do the 500. Um, I also want to mention this before I get into my sermon. Uh, Marion Lowe's, who's a longtime member of our church here at Cedar Mill and she was on staff for many years, she went home to be with the Lord yesterday afternoon at 345. Her family was uh, with her at her bedside, and memorial arrangements are pending, but just uh, pray for that family. It's a hard time of year to lose someone. Uh, don't pray for Mary, and she's in good shape. She's in a good place for Christmas this year, but the family will be missing her, so uh, so think of them. I also want to uh, mention that this morning we're talking about love, How, the love the quality of unending love that God offers us in this world. And love is one of those things that all of us are searching for. Sometimes we don't realize how much we need it, how much we long for it, how much we're actually seeking it. Um, and then there's times where we realize that, how much it means to us, how central love is to our hearts and souls. And these last couple of weeks have been uh, that kind of a time for me personally. Uh, I have had some back issues. I ruptured a disc in my lower back. I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago and, Um, you all have just loved on me in a way that has touched my heart. And so I want to thank you for that. Uh, Last week we got home from church and Pastor Matt gave the message so I just got to kind of hang out in the lobby and in the back and we got home and Amy said, how was church today? And I said, it was the greatest. And she said, why? And I said, because people just loved on me all morning and kept asking me how I was doing. It's like they really care. The church actually really cares about me. She's like, well, you didn't know that? And I'm like, well, I knew it, but it was still nice to experience it again. So love just has this this way. And by the way, my my back is all of a sudden, it was doing really poorly in the last few days. It's kind of taken a turn for for the good. So um, thank you for your prayers in that regard. I was. We were definitely going to give God glory no matter which way it went, but we're glad we're giving Him glory for healing. That's, that's a good thing. So, um, Again, this morning we're talking about love, and all of us in this world are in search of love. In fact, if you look around at people in our world, what we'll often see is that people are far too often willing to do tremendously destructive things even in order to just get a little taste of love even to just get sort of cheap imitation surface level uh moments or experiences of love people will do um oftentimes even like i said destructive things one thing worth pointing out is that in our world love is often associated with having the right kind of physical appearance and so What we see is people spending all kinds of time and energy trying to look a certain way or conform into sort of the pattern of society or have this certain sized waistline um, in order to have beauty because they think if they're beautiful, if the world counts them as pretty or attractive, that they will somehow find love, that people will love them, and they will for a while. But beauty is is fading. It goes away. Hairlines move back. It's a real painful process. And then, um, and then there's success, right? Some of you maybe grew up in a family where love was given to you because you accomplished something, or because you behaved in a certain way, or because you achieved something. And then love was kind of doled out based on what you did, or how you acted, or responded, or achieved. But as soon as you veered from this, as soon as you didn't live up, love was then withheld. So love, as we experience it in this world, can be a very fickle thing. It's something that people fall into and fall out of. They give it and then they withhold it. And I'll be bringing all of this, all of our experience of love into our relationship with God and our understanding of His love. And what we're often taught in this kind of world of ours is that love is something you earn. If you want to be loved, then you had better earn it. You had better deserve it. Because love is something you get when you are lovable. And so to be lovable is what we all try to be so that we can get this thing that our hearts and souls are crying out for. But friends, this morning the message is that God wants to offer you something more. And I'll suggest to you that this is the perfect topic for us this time of year because... For many of us, Christmas, the Christmas season actually just reveals the facade of love and joy and hope and peace that we all walk around with. And, and here's how, how it works. Uh, we walk around at Christmas time we see the lights meant, meant to represent the light of Christ coming into the world and we hear the carols on the radio and in the, in the stores declaring the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem and we shop for the gifts that are meant to remind us of the greatest gift, the gift that tells us God loves us. But the truth is this, amidst all of the Christmas cheer, there is this nagging question that so many of us carry deep in our hearts and souls. Does God really love me? God, see, the message says you do. The season says you do. Everybody else seems to think that you love them. But if I'm honest, when I peel away the tinsel and the decorations, I'm not sure I truly feel loved by God. And that's actually where the people in our passage find themselves today. If you have a Bible this morning, open to Isaiah chapter 49. If you're using one of the pew Bibles in the pew rack in front of you there, we're on page 597. Last week, Pastor Matt talked about how the people of Jerusalem, the people of southern Israel, were, were looking north to the northern part of Israel where the northern tribes were being threatened by these in, invading armies and this invading uh, kingdom. The Assyrian Empire was coming, right? And, and they were trying to have peace. They are trying to have peace in the face of this impending threat, this impending doom. What does it look like to have peace even when our circumstances, even when our lives don't naturally bring peace to us well this morning we are 40 chapters later in isaiah and the threat has now come and it is still coming the assyrian empire has come to jerusalem the babylonian empire will soon follow and friends these were not peaceful god-loving regimes these were pagan warring empires that laid waste to the nations and peoples and cities that opposed them In other words, Isaiah is writing these words, the words we'll look at this morning, at a point in time when God's people are facing tremendous difficulty and struggle. Jerusalem will soon be conquered, her walls will be torn down, the temple will be destroyed, and in our passage today, God is telling his people, who are being and will be continued to be exiled, drug off into foreign lands, he's telling them there is hope salvation is coming he's saying i haven't forgotten you i still love you in fact the first 13 verses of isaiah 49 are this this grand prophetic promise from god that one day he will not only just save israel he'll not only just save his people but that he will bring salvation to the entire planet the first 13 verses of this chapter are actually like the best news the earth has ever heard. God is saying there is something bigger happening here than just the Jewish people being like returned to their land. He says this in verse 12. He says, see, they will come from afar. Some from the north, some from the west, some from the region of Oswan, which was in the south. And the only direction that he doesn't mention here is, is what? The only direction he doesn't mention is actually the direction from which the the Israelites will be returning home from Babylon. The Babylonian Empire was in the east, and he doesn't mention the east. He says, yeah, of course I'm going to bring my people home from the east, back from Babylon, but I'm also going to bring people from every direction, from all over the globe. I'm going to bring salvation to the entire world. And then he, he doesn't stop there. In verse 13 he says, shout for joy, you heavens! rejoice you earth burst into song you mountain have you ever heard a mountain burst into song only in the sound of music when Maria von Trapp sings but, um, but in this, this verse verse 13 God says this, this salvation that's coming this hope that I'm bringing this love that I'm offering will not just impact humanity it will actually impact all of the earth the entire planet all of creation everything is going to be set right made right again about a month ago, my son Dax was wrestling with his uh, little brother Silvio and in the process, Silvio tripped and fell and landed on Dax's hand and it dislocated his thumb rather badly. You know, actually, my, I was out running an errand and my wife called me in a panic and I got home and my son's thumb was, was like pointing backwards and he was holding it in terror. Dad, my thumb, it's not in the right spot. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, I'm pretty sure I can do I can put this back for you. Come on, dads, you know you'd have done the same thing. And my son is like panicked and he's like, no way. And my wife finally convinces me not to do this. And so we take him to the ER because it was after doctor hours. Kids only get hurt, by the way, when doctor's offices are closed. That's just a general rule of life. And so we go to the ER where three different ER doctors over the course of about three hours and a lot of drugs try to put his thumb back in place and they cannot do it. So they send us home and we go the next day to Randall Children's Hospital where the pediatric orthopedic hand specialist guy tries to put his thumb back in socket and he cannot do it. So they take him to surgery and they cut him open and put it all back and then they get it all set and they put him in a cast. And so he was in a cast for about a month. He got it off this past Wednesday. You'll see him running around with a little sling now. And throughout this entire process, my youngest daughter, who has this very tender heart, she was very worried about her older brother. And she, was, she had seen his thumb all sort of kittywampus, and she was just worried about him and sad for him and you know just kind of stressed about the whole thing. And then a few days before he was about to get his cast off, he was excited, I'm getting my cast off in a few days. And PJ says, what if, what if when they take the cast off, Dax's thumb is still dislocated? And Dax is you know, trying to comfort his little sister, and he says, PJ, PJ, don't worry. I'm sure when they take the cast off, it'll be located. And that's so what he said to her. He said, I'm sure my thumb will be located again. And so that's been our kind of joke around the family. Like, Dax's thumb is definitely located. In fact, all my fingers, they're located. But the message of, of God leading up to our section for today is that things in this world have become dislocated. They've become painful and out of place. But God has this greater plan than they can even imagine to make sure that everything gets located again all of creation is now going to be located that's God's promise that's God's declaration that's God's salvation that is coming and so with this great news with this great hope and love that God declares to his people we now get Israel's response verse 14 but zion said the lord has forsaken me the lord has forgotten me i'm i'm coming I'm going to come and I'm going to make everything right in the world. Everything that's wrong with the world is going to be made right again. All is going to be the way it is supposed to be once more. And shalom will return to all of creation isn't that great news. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. This is not the response we'd expect to this great news. But let me tell you what Israel is saying here. And maybe you've said the same thing to God yourself before. Israel saying, God... Your grand promises, your, your great hope of salvation, it's all well and good. But the circumstances of our life, of my life, the immediate struggles and problems I am facing right now are making it hard for me to really believe that you love me. Isaiah uses two words in this verse to describe how Israel feels. Forsaken and Forgotten. Forsaken communicates this lack of action on God's part. You've forsaken us, Lord. You haven't taken action. You haven't moved in to right the wrongs that are in our lives right now. You haven't fixed it right now. You haven't like come to our aid in this moment. That's forsaken. And there's the word forgotten, which runs a little deeper. See, forgotten says, maybe the reason you're not acting, God, maybe the reason you haven't fixed our struggles and problems and pain is that you don't even care, that you don't even see. Maybe, God, maybe there's something wrong between us and and you've rejected us. Maybe you've just moved away and washed your hands of us and moved on, and that's why, that's why you're not coming to our aid. You see, there is this fear in Israel. Maybe our sin has finally become too great. Maybe we've finally pushed god too far maybe god's had it with us and abandoned us and he no longer loves us and maybe you've felt this way before maybe things in your life have gotten to the point where even though you know all the right bible verses and you've heard all the great grand promises there is this nagging feeling and question this doubt does god really love me does he see me does he care about my pain and struggles and life And now, now God will respond to what is perhaps the greatest question of the human heart. God, do you still love me? Or have I finally pushed you away? Verse 15, God's response. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. You see, this is a passage, friends, not just about information. This isn't Israel saying, God, again, give us the facts of how you love us. Don't tell us, like, factually, do you love us? Check yes or no, God. This is Israel saying, God, we hear you saying that you love us. We know the facts that you love us. We, we hear that. We read that. But we don't feel like you love us. Amidst the information, our, it's not getting through to our hearts. And so what God says is this. Let me paint a picture for you. A picture of how I feel about you. And to do this, He goes to one of the most intimate, tender, compassionate, selfless, unconditional pictures of love we know. He says, If you are doubting in any way, how I feel about you, if you need reassurance, imagine the love, imagine the awareness a nursing mother has for her baby. The love she has for that child is the kind of love I have for you. And not only that, not only that, she may forget. I will not forget. A mother may forget. An earthly mother may forget her child. We've all experienced this, right, as parents, if you've been a parent... We're not perfect parents. Nothing exposes your your brokenness and your selfishness and your sinfulness more than becoming a parent, actually. Because as parents, we do sometimes forget. As much as we love our kids, as much as we're drawn to them and committed to them, we sometimes forget how many in this room have actually, truly forgotten a child, left them somewhere, unattended, um, just driven off without them. That's happened to even the best of us in this room, probably, um, it's happened to me, but it actually happened to a buddy of mine um, while I was with him at one point. Uh, some friends of ours had just had a brand new baby girl. It was like their sixth kid. So she was only two weeks old and they were already going out to dinner with us. So we're going out to dinner with them. All the other kids are at home, but they bring this new baby girl along um, for dinner. And we go and we're looking for parking at this particular restaurant. And because we can't find any, my my friend and I, um, we drop the, the, the ladies off at the restaurant. They get out and they go in to kind of get a table and get us in and all that and we drive around looking for parking. Well, we can't find any parking. We end up parking like three blocks away. No lie. Like a good three blocks away in this parking garage that was also completely full and so he circled around and went to the very top level of this parking garage and parked in one of the last remaining slots and we were so happy to finally find a slot that we parked the car and we're visiting and talking. We're excited to be out of the house together and to meet our wives at the restaurant and we leave and we kind of run and walk down to the restaurant and I'll never forget this moment because we Walk up, my buddy Mike and I, and as we walk up to the table, the wives are sitting there, and we walk up, and his wife looks up at us, and this is all she says. She has this look on her face, and this is all she says. Are you kidding? That's the entire Are you kidding? And instantly when she says this, my friend kind of get turned and starts to sprint. And it takes me like a couple clicks to catch on. Like, are you kidding about what? There's no joke here. Oh, the baby! And I'm chasing after him. We run all the way back to the parking garage to the very top. And then as we just start to get close, you know, the fear of, I hope the baby's still there, starts to subside. Because, you know, the car's locked. The baby's probably fine. But then there's this new fear that starts to emerge. What is it? People are going to see us now walking to a car without a baby and then walking away from a car with a baby. So we go into like this stealth ninja mode. <laughs> we extracted the child from the car and went back and had a long, painful dinner. Um, <laughs> it wasn't as fun as we had hoped it would be. See, we've all forgotten, friends. All of us are flawed and broken as parents. And, but what God is saying here is He's saying, you know, as flawed and broken as a human mother is, If you can imagine the perfect mother, if you can imagine the way the perfect mother would love her child, then you would just be able to begin to understand the way I feel about you. You see, a mother doesn't love her child because of what she gets from that child. It's not like a give-take relationship. The mother-child relationship isn't based on give and take. We both give, we both take. No, if you've ever been in a house with a newborn baby, you know that's not the way a baby works. Babies want, and babies want when babies want. There's a very clear giver in the relationship, and there is a very clear taker in the mother-baby relationship. See, a baby not only doesn't contribute to you loving them, the baby doesn't say, here, I show up on the scene, I'm going to do all these things to get you to love me the baby actually sometimes intentionally i think does things to get you not to love them <laughs> have you ever been a newborn parent and experienced this i'll never forget when we first had um, when we were first pregnant with our very first child uh, my wife and i you know you're new parents and you're expecting this new baby and who was going to be a baby girl and we were so excited and we had this woman who was helping us and she was like our our doctor and she was helping deliver the child and we would see her kind of regularly before you know, before labor was induced and, and about a week before the baby was born, we're in her office and she'd been kind of giving us tips and guidance along the way and she says, all right, this is the final time we'll probably see you before, you know, you come in to have the child. Let somebody give you the final piece of information. This is maybe the most important thing I'll tell you. And so we're these new parents we're like, okay, let's, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Get our heads out. And She said, there's going to come this moment for this child is born and you're going to do everything. You can do everything you can think to do to try and comfort her and she'll have none of it you're going to rock her and you're going to burp her and you're going to feed her and you're going to pat her and you're going to bounce her and you're going to swing her and you're going to put her in the car and you're going to drive her around the block you're going to get one of those $80 swings that's going to guarantee you're going to do everything you can possibly think to do and the child is not going to have it they are not going to settle down and then she says and I promise you this will happen sometime between 1 and 4 a.m. it's just a guarantee and she said in that moment here are the words that you need to remember they are the most important words of parenting remember these words and just say them to your to yourself when you encounter this, and then I'm like th- sitting here thinking she's going to say something like, you know, this is the child of God who you should always care for no matter what. And she said, write these words down and say them with me. Don't choke the baby. Is <laughs> <laughs> a true story. And I'm lo- and Amy and I are looking like what? Don't choke the baby? Who would choke the baby? And she's like, no 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 no, you're going to need these words. Trust me. Say them with me. Don't choke the baby. And so we kind of sat there saying, really awkward feeling like, don't choke the baby. Like who? <laughs> Who are these people, you know? Sure enough, about a month later, there we are, middle of the night, at our wits' end, sleep-deprived, de- sleep tortured, can't get this child to calm down. And I'll never forget, Amy turns to me, and she hands the child to me in, like, utter frustration, and she says, here, take her. I'm going to choke her. Now she said, <laughs> she said, don't choke the baby. <laughs> Don't choke the baby. And we kind of sat and laughed and thought, man, there's some wisdom in that. We didn't know. We did not know it was true. See, friends, the mother-child relationship is the same as the God-us relationship. A mother does not love her child because that child is always lovable. A mother does not love her child because the child earns or does things to deserve that love. No, the mother loves the child... Freely, A mother loves her child without requirement, with no strings attached, in spite of how the child sometimes behaves, not because of it. And friends, friends, here's the beautiful part. Because that love is freely given, because that love was never earned, that love can never be unearned. Do you know that Because the love God has for you was never earned, it can never be unearned. Because you never did anything to earn or deserve the love that God has for you, you can never do anything to unearn or not deserve the love God has for you. God says, no way, it is impossible for you to not be loved by me because you did not earn my love to begin with. See, the love that God has for us is reliable and steady and steadfast and it is without end because it is a love not based on you, not based on me, not based on our attitudes or actions or circumstances. It is based on Him and God's love is hardwired into His very nature. Much like a mother's love is hardwired into her very nature. You know, I did some um, research this week on... On, on this passage on on breastfeeding and I have to tell you that when I told the Sunday team that I was going to talk a little bit about breastfeeding this, sun, this Sunday morning they were a little more than a little nervous they're like you're going to what? you're going to no and Pastor Matt's like sweet this is going to be great tons of awkward moments I cannot wait to see how this goes you go for it Dave like big time you know um But friends, this is a real normal, natural thing, and it's in the Bible, so we can talk about it in church. I learned some things about breastfeeding this week, and I'm going to share them with you, because I think they have to do, at least least kind of give us an indication of, of how God might love us. One thing that happens during breastfeeding, you may or may not know this, is that a very high dose of a hormone called oxytocin is released into a mother's brain. Now, oxytocin is, is what they sometimes call the love hormone or the bonding hormone because what it does is it, it biologically creates feelings, creates emotions of attachment and love and affection between a mother and her newborn baby. That's what this... This, this hormone does. There's other ways to sort of get this hormone. It doesn't just happen in breastfeeding, but breastfeeding is, is one of the primary ways that a, that a child and a mother can bond through this release of oxytocin in a mother's brain. Um, scientists also now know that that a mother's brain, after giving birth to a child, for, for a, a good long period after giving birth to a child, is sort of hardwired and specially rewired to be an extremely good receptor of this drug, oxytocin. So this this hormone is produced and it goes into the brain and then it's received and that happens throughout life. Actually, in time you have sort of an intimate moment with someone or you touch or you cuddle, that's why it's called the cuddling hormone sometimes. There's this bond that's kind of created. It's why physical touch is so important for human beings. Um, But it's especially, it's sort of highlighted um, in the months after pregnancy. And so a mother is sort of, by God, designed to, in those months where she's spending a lot of time with her infant, Cuddling and touching and nursing to have this hormone just kind of doing its thing and bonding mom to child. Another thing, by the way, uh, that oxytocin does is it, it hardwires a mom to specifically enjoy the smell of her baby. Have you noticed this, by the way? Uh, maybe moms, you could you could tell us if this is true. I, I'm guessing that it is based on my experience with my wife. Is that is that mothers love the smell of their own babies? You may not love the smell of every baby. You may not love every sm- every smell of your baby. <laughs> but overall, it's like, I love the smell of my baby, right? That's oxytocin at work. That's this bonding agent happening, right? And uh, another time, by the way, when, when oxytocin is released in, in large doses is during labor. And so you think about kind of the, the labor process, and it's a painful process. I'm not going to go there. I just observed it. I have no idea, ladies, what you go through. I'm not even pretending to. But, but it looks like a painful process, and you might think that a woman would come out of that process and think, man, that kid, they did this to me. They caused me all that pain. But moms don't say that. They say that to their husbands, but they, <laughs> they, they don't feel that way towards their, their children. Why? Part of it is this, this hormone that bonds a mom to her child. Friends, you see how amazing this is? Biologically, God has wired us up, wired mothers up to unconditionally love their children, to love them even when they are crying and screaming and demanding and pooping. There is something in mothers hardwired to love, just to have affection for and to be drawn towards their children. This explains also why moms always think their kids are so cute. Have you, have you noticed this? And this is, this is both parents. Dads can be guilty as well because they get some of that like oxytocin when they snuggle their kids. Hopefully dads are doing some night duties and getting some of that that, that stuff going on. But, but moms especially, they'll be like, you know, this is my brand new daughter. She's three weeks old. Isn't she beautiful? And you're kind of like, well, she's pink and wrinkly and she's got one of those like mullets. <laughs> Just because you slapped a bow on her head doesn't really make her all that cute. But sure, whatever you think. You know, I... Um, some of you are really offended right now. No, I actually really do love children. Um, but moms, they don't have to fake it. They actually think their kids are the cutest kids they've ever seen. It's like you—you you know, before you have a child, you think, are people just faking it? Is that what you have to say? No, moms really believe this. They are drawn to their children on this level. Part of it is this hormone, this way God has sort of hardwired moms to feel about their kids. Now let me just pause here and say this. Do you know that God loves you in the same way? That's what the Bible says. In the same way a mother loves her child, her newborn baby, God loves you. He doesn't have to try real hard to love you, he doesn't have to fake it, he doesn't look at you and go, man... He's not all that good looking, but I suppose I better say he is. No, he honestly and truly loves you. He's drawn to you. His heart is warmed for you. See, God is predisposed. He's hardwired to love you unconditionally. And now Isaiah will tell us what it is that hardwires God to love us this way. And and, and another way of maybe asking this question just for this morning's sermon, kind of for fun, is what is the oxytocin for God? What is it that enables God to look past all of our sin, all of our stuff, all of our failures and shortcomings, and love us unconditionally like the perfect mother? Isaiah tells us in the very next verse, verse 16, See, he says, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. That word engraved, it's a word that expresses something extremely permanent. It's a word that's used to describe a hammer and a chisel inscribing something into stone. And you see what God says here. He says, If you think that hard times and difficult circumstances and struggles and pain in your life, if sin even mean that I may no longer love you, then you need to look no further than the marks hammered into my hands for you because these are the marks that aren't going away. There's nothing you can do to erase these. They've been chiseled into the palms of my hands. You see, friends, just like Israel, we are so often to say, to feel like I can't believe that God loves me because look at all the awful stuff in me. Look at all the things that I've done. But Jesus says, He says, You think God has forgotten you? You're tempted to believe that God has forsaken you? Jesus says, On the cross, I was forsaken. I was forsaken so that you never would be. Jesus says, through these nail marks engraved in the palm of my hands on the cross, I got the forsakenness you sense that you deserve. So now, no matter what you do, God will never forsake you. He no longer sees your sin. He just loves you. You see, the crucifixion of Jesus is in a sense the oxytocin of God. It's the thing that causes God to look at us. And instead of seeing crying, pooping, demanding, fallen, sinful, broken people... It causes God to look at us with the love of a mother. In 1 John 1... 8 and 9 the apostle writes this he says if we claim to be without sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us it's not that we're not sinners it's not that our, that we're no longer sin it's not that we don't fall short it's not that the Bible says that all of us have sinned there's no one righteous no one stands before God righteous and justified not even one not a single person in the world all of us fall short all of us are sinners all of us have disappointed God and broken his law every single one but then John says this if we confess our sins he is faithful and faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness that's kind of an interesting verse there right he, he is faithful and just so God is just so he forgives our sins it's not really how we think about it is it in fact isn't that opposite of how it should be if God was really just if he wanted justice then he would hold us accountable for our sins wouldn't he so how is it that God, when He's faithful and just, forgives our sins? Well, here's how it works. We just we think about God forgiving our sins, and sometimes we, we think about Jesus kind of up in heaven saying, God, you know, Bill, he blew it again, I know, and I know you're really angry with him. Uh, but I died on the cross, and so come on, one more time, God. Could you just forgive Bill? Please do it for me. And then God's kind of there going, I guess. <laughs> I'm kind of getting sick of Bill. <laughs> Tell him like, to ship up or shape out down there. And Jesus is like, Okay, good, good. And he comes up and he's like, Bill, I got you covered one more time, but be real careful over here. You know, Not how it goes at all. That's not the conversation between the Father and the Son. Actually, it's not the mercy of God that ultimately sets us free. It's the justice of God because Jesus comes to God and the Son comes to the Father and He says, you see these marks on my palms? The penalty for Bill's sins have been, has been paid. And so God, Father, for you to hold those sins against Bill still and make him pay the penalty that I've already paid, that's not justice. That's not just at all. And so what the gospel tells us is that when God wants to be just, if Christ has died for our sins, if we've received the the gift of his death and resurrection for us, then the justice of God will not see our sin on us any longer. It will be as far, the Bible says, as the east is from the west. That means it's completely paid for. There is no more debt. There's no double jeopardy. God's not going to charge you twice. Jesus is already paid. You don't have to pay anymore. You see, the cross, friends, the nail marks engraved on the palms of Jesus' hands are what allows God to look at you and me and not see our sin. Just like oxytocin works to blind a mother to all the brokenness and imperfection of a baby, the cross blinds God to your sin and mine. Tim Keller asks this profound question. He says, What power in the whole universe could change things so every bit of God's holiness now demands He loves you like a mother? It's the cross. This is why in Philippians chapter 4, Paul says, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. You see what Paul is saying here is he says, I've had good times and I've had bad times. And sometimes in the good times I'm tempted to forget about God, and sometimes in the bad times I'm tempted to forget about God. I'm tempted to forget that God loves me when I'm hungry and I'm in want. I'm tempted to wonder, does God still love me? If He loves me, how could this happen? And he says, I can do all things through Christ, through Him who gives me strength. I can hold on to the fact that God loves me, that His love for me is unwavering. Why? Because of Christ. Because of who Christ is, because of what what Christ has done, because of the marks that have been engraved on His palms. And so the question for you this morning is simply this. There's an unending love that God offers you. It's not dependent on your abilities, on your skills, on your morality. It doesn't depend on you earning or deserving anything from Him. It all lands on the palms of Jesus, it all lands at the cross. God says, My son has died. Your name has been engraved on his palms and now this love because of Christ is available to you. The question is will you receive it? Have you received it? Do you need to receive that love again? Friends, to embrace and receive and be reassured by the endless life-changing capacity and love of God, I want to share a story with you this morning by a guy named Henry Nowen who uh who tells a story about what it looks like to really receive, I believe, the love of God and what I think God wants us to do in response to this love. Henry was a guy who taught at Harvard and Yale. He was this sort of um, very renowned professor, this person who lived in high and elite places, but he never seemed to kind of have the life that he felt God wanted him to have. And so for the last number of years that he lived, he moved to Toronto, Canada, and he lived in this little community called Daybreak, and it was a series of homes that cared for um, handicapped children and adults. It wasn't a glamorous place. It wasn't a place where you get noticed. but It was a place where you just go to be with people and to love them and to experience the love of God. And Henry says it was in this place, in this community, that he experienced the love of God more than any place in his entire life. And he tells a story in a book called Life of the Beloved that gives a picture of what you can do to receive this gift today, to receive the love of God today. And I just want to read it for you this morning as we close. This is what Henry writes. Shortly before I started a prayer service one night, a woman named Janet, a handicapped member of our community, said to me, Henry, can you give me a blessing? I responded in somewhat of an automatic way by tracing with my thumb the sign of the cross on her forehead. Instead of being grateful, however, she protested vehemently. No, that doesn't work. I want a real blessing. I suddenly became aware of the rote quality of my response to her request and said, oh, I'm sorry. Let me give you a real blessing when we were all together for the prayer service. She nodded with a smile, and I realized something special was required. At the end of the service, when about 30 people were sitting in a circle on the floor, I rose to the middle and said, Janet has asked for... Has asked me for a special blessing. She feels that she needs it now. As I was saying this, I didn't know what Janet really wanted, but Janet didn't leave me any doubt. As soon as I spoke, she stood up and walked toward me. I was wearing a long white robe with ample sleeves covering my hands as well as my arms. Spontaneously, Janet put her arms around me and put her head against my chest. Without thinking, I covered her with my sleeves so that she almost vanished into the folds of my robe. As we held each other, I said, Janet, I want you to know that you are God's beloved daughter. You are precious in God's eyes. Your beautiful smile, your kindness to the people in the house and all the good things you do show us what a beautiful human being you are. I know you feel a little low these days and that there's some sadness in your heart, but I want you to remember who you are. A very special person, deeply loved by God, and all the people who are here with you. As I said these words, Janet raised her head and looked at me, and her broad smile showed that she had really heard and received the blessing. When she returned to her place, Jane, another handicapped woman, raised her hand and said, I want a blessing too. She stood up and before I knew it, had put her face against my chest. And after I had spoken words of blessing to her, many more of the handicapped people followed, expressing the same desire to be blessed. The most touching moment, however, came at the end when one of the, one of the assistants, a 24-year-old staff member, raised his hand and said, what about me? Sure, I said, come. He came and as we stood before each other, I put my arms around him and said, John, it is so good that you are here. You are God's beloved son. Your presence is a joy for all of us when things are hard and life is burdensome, always remember that you are loved with an everlasting love. As I spoke these words, he looked at me with tears in his eyes and then he simply said this, thank you, thank you very much. I guess the question for you this morning, friends, is do you need to be reminded today of God's love for you? Do you need to receive it this morning? Maybe for the first time. Maybe for the thousandth time. Maybe you just need it in this season of your life for something that you're facing. Maybe some doubts have crept in. Maybe you've been wondering lately, because does God really love you? And friends, what I want to tell you this morning is that God longs to do for you what Henry Nouwen did for the people of that community. He longs to embrace you. He longs to hug you. He longs to throw His arms around you. And He longs to say, You... You are my very special son. You are my very special daughter. And I love you so much that my son that I gave my son and that he died on the cross, your name is engraved on his palms. And for that reason and that reason alone, I love you, I love you, I love you, and that will never change. Do you know that love this morning? Have you received that unconditional love from a holy God this morning? From a God that will never leave you or forsake you? From a God that will never just love you when you are lovable, but will love you even when you are the least lovable? Friends, this morning as we close our service, we're going to take a few moments and we're going to share a meal together. this is a meal that's meant to remind us, to remind our hearts and to remind our souls of the deep, unconditional, unchanging love that God has for us, for you. If you've never received Jesus as Lord and Savior this morning, if you've never received God's love, one way to do that today is just to with the bread and with the cup sit, confess your sin to God just like it says in 1 John, just to confess your sin, just to say, God, I'm a sinner. I fall short. I don't deserve to be loved by my own merit, but I receive your free gift of love. I receive the gift that you offer me through your son's death and resurrection on the cross. I want to be eternally loved by you. I receive the love that you give me. If you want to receive that love this morning, just just say those words, pray that prayer in your own words, in your mind and heart. And then together in just a few moments we'll receive the bread and we'll receive the cup. Maybe you just need to be reminded today just how special you are, just how much He loves you. Take some time with God. Let these words soak in and sink in. Do whatever business you need to do with Him. The ushers are going to distribute the elements. Hold on to them and we're going to receive them together in just a moment.